Good morning, and welcome to episode 505 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, a writer for Grantland.com, joined as always by Sam Miller, editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, who is still rounding up the last of today's transaction analyses. Hi. You must be tired. Uh... Uh, it's it was a it was a long day. <laughs> yeah, yes, it was. Uh, How about you? How about you? What was it like for you? Uh, not not so bad. Um, Jonah handled the the quick reaction stuff, and I did kind of a a roundup wrap up winners and losers type thing, which will be up in the morning. So I had I had some time more so than. I did in the BP days, and and then you did today. When the goal is to get everything up immediately, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I didn't have I, to didn't have to worry about rounding everyone up and sending out emails to make sure everything was covered from the prospect side and the fantasy side and all of the things that you had to do. Yeah, putting in arrows, put in <laughs> yes. a lot of arrows. Arrows are important. So many arrows. <laughs> I, uh, and now I have to write. That's, it's not so much that I am actually tired at the moment as um, the, the threat of tiredness is, mm-hmm. is looming over me because I still have to, to write a couple more things before we can wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so yeah, it was a busy day. It, it looked like maybe it wouldn't be a busy day. It, it hadn't been a particularly busy lead up to the last day of the deadline. There were lots of teams technically in contention or having reasons not to sell, and it looked like maybe it would just be a slow, uneventful day, but it became clear early on Thursday when the Lester Cespedes deal went down that it was not going to be a slow day, and things continued to happen throughout the day, culminating in the three-team David Price trade, but there were plenty of, of major significant moves along the way. Does it surprise you that GMs are such procrastinators? I mean, the last day. It's always the last day. It's like, its like you know, some college project where you had two weeks to do it and you ended up staying up all night the night before it was due to get it done. I mean, the last day. I understand that the, the deadline adds some pressure to get things done, but you'd think, you'd think moves would be slightly more evenly distributed than this. Uh, would you? I well, I wouldn't because I know that they're not. But but I wonder I mean, why they're not. Yeah, well, you, team, there are. If you have even if you have even one team that is uncertain about whether it is a seller or not, mm-hmm. then you have kind of everything. It, it's not hard for that one team's uncertainty to make everything have to wait because mm-hmm. because nobody wants to nobody wants to buy the only. If, third baseman on the market and feel like you're overpaying for the only third baseman or the only starting pitcher or whatever you just you can always convince yourself that oh well there's two then I'll be able to bargain shop or play them off on each other or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. so I don't even know oh, where Ben yeah. I just realized I have the wrong headphones in that oh. means that uh, my sound might be 90% as good as it normally is I just realized I didn't even need to mention that <laughs> now everyone's going to be focusing on your voice yeah. It sounded pretty normal. Okay. 
All right. Um, so I don't know where to start. We're not going to talk about every trade, as we just discussed. You can go read about every trade if you'd like at Baseball Perspectives, or you can read at Grantland, or you can read it at many of the other websites that talk about baseball. Um, but we'll we'll talk about some of the notable ones, I suppose. Is there anyone anywhere you want to start? Not at all. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I guess we should... Chris Norfia. Yeah. Wait, um, what? <laughs> I like the Mariners moves. <laughs> Mariners moves were among my favorite moves. But but we won't start there. So I guess we should start with the, the A's. And trading Cespedes, um, trading for, for John Lester, for two months of Lester, they traded eight months of Cespedes and... Uh, they also got Johnny Gomes, and then they made a separate trade in which they sent Tommy Malone, who had asked for a trade, to the Twins for Sam Fold, who was an, an athletic earlier this year, and then was DFA'd because they didn't have a spot for him at the time, and, and now they do. So they'll be cobbling together left field production like they do at a lot of positions. They... They traded the closest thing they had to an archetypical slugger, uh, a middle-of-the-order bat, a guy who's been hitting number three for them for the last six weeks or so. They traded that guy for Lester, and they'll replace Cespedes with, I suppose, some some combination of Gomes and Stephen Vogt and Fold and Josh Reddick and, and who knows what else. All of the, all of the typical Oakland spare parts that fit together in a way that makes them more useful than they would be on their own. So they so they get, I don't know what percent of, of Cespedes they get out of those guys, but probably a pretty high percent. And, of course, they get Lester, who now gives them what was clearly the best rotation in baseball for a period of several hours. Maybe it maybe it still is, but it it's... Uh, it's a rotation that gives you the impression that Billy Bean is doing all he can not to leave anything to chance this time. Uh, yeah, I, um, I have to admit, I'm not smitten with this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have an issue with it. Um, it's just that like, uh, I don't know. I, as you know, I, I, I always, uh, try to avoid getting too hung up on the particular way that a good team is 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 um, is built. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't particularly care if a team is uh, great offensively or great with pitching or uh, balanced or or anything of the sort. And it seems to me that the reaction to this whole thing is mainly focused on the idea that you need good pitching, um, especially in the postseason, and that's why this is such a great move. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it's not all that. It's partly that Lester is probably better than Cespedes. Um, but uh, I mean, it seems to me clearly that the A's traded uh, their, uh, you know, uh, they they created a weaker spot in one part of their team in order to get stronger in another. And I'm not sure mm -hmm. that they weren't. I'm not sure that they weren't actually deeper at starting pitching than they were at the outfield, particularly with. You know, Coco Crisp seeming to miss two games a week and one week a month uh, at this point, and Craig Gentry being somewhat uncertain, uh, somewhat uncertain with his broken hand. Um, 
And you know, to me, uh, uh, to me, the difference between Cespedes and a uh, Fold Gomes platoon, um, it's there's a there's a gap there that's probably smaller than the gap between Lester and and Jesse Chavez or Jason Hamill, but yeah. it's not like a it's not a it's not a huge improvement to me. Like it it feels like Cespedes is pretty good and. And then you certainly, I mean, then you have the ne- you have the, the the fact that next year uh, they won't have Cespedes or Lester, and so I'm not sure that what I would think is, you know, it's a, it's an upgrade this year, and and if you're going for it this year, then I guess you can justify it as saying, well, it it is in fact an upgrade, but to me it's not quite as much of an upgrade as I would want, considering Cespedes is, you know, pretty tremendously valuable next year at nine million dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I would think the A's are going to be good again next year. Yeah, I would think so too. They, I guess it depends uh, how worried you are about what Chavez and Hamill have done recently, because Hamill has been bad since the A's traded for him in only four starts or so, but he's been pretty atrocious, and Chavez has also been bad in July, and there was some concern about him running out of gas and not not having the stamina to succeed over a full season. And so if you think, and maybe this trade is a sign that they think that that those guys aren't so great, I mean, then you're you're talking about Lester. Because, you know, a, 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 a fourth starter will pitch in the postseason, probably, or, or it's probably an advantage to have him pitch in the postseason, and I think I'll I think I'll write about this for next week maybe. But it's something that that we talked about on online recently. Just the the idea that uh, maybe having a top heavy rotation isn't all that beneficial. Doesn't seems like it should be because it doesn't matter who your fifth starter is in the postseason. You can concentrate your innings among your top say three starters and your top say three bullpen guys and those guys can pitch a higher percentage of your innings and so it seems like a team that is top heavy in its pitching staff should get a bigger boost from the playoff format than than a team that is a bit more well balanced but doesn't have as many aces or relief aces and yet I'm not convinced that that's true and one reason it might not be true is that these guys then have to pitch on short rest or have to pitch back-to-back-to-back days if they're a reliever, and maybe they're not used to doing that. Maybe that's hard to do at the end of a long season, and so maybe you you give back whatever advantage that you gain from that top heaviness in in those guys not being as effective as they would be on short rest. And so that's a theory, and so the A's now can go into the playoffs with the best of both worlds they have the deep rotation that also is entirely composed of top of the rotation guys now they can mm-hmm. yeah. they can start four starters who are all really really good they don't have to give Hamill a start in the playoffs or alternatively push their number three guy or, or whoever to start on short rest so they have that luxury now and of course uh whoever's not in the rotation I mean maybe Chavez goes to the bullpen and they have this incredibly deep bullpen already, and so it's it's good pitching. I I think the idea that pitching matters so much more than everything else in the playoffs is sort of overblown. But at the same time, they uh, they have a pretty enviable combination of depth and ceiling. 
Yeah, clearly what matters more than anything else in the playoffs is Johnny Gomes. <laughs> that too, the chemistry. <laughs> I actually do the I I I I I uh, can't help but sort of love it for the Johnny Gomes factor. <laughs> mm-hmm. As as you know, I uh, I am I am interested in and intrigued by the uh, Johnny Co- Johnny Gomes twenty win swing theory. <laughs> Yes, although he he had a quote recently about chemistry, right? He said it was the the icing on the cake, but not the cake itself. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, that he doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what he. It look. It's like I don't know what the what the back of my head looks like. Other people do, but you know. So so I'm not the best person to necessarily describe everything about me. You would be better at describing what I look like from behind than I would, and and maybe we all observing Johnny Gomes and his teammates observing Johnny Gomes. Maybe they are in a better position to describe what Johnny Gomes is like than mm-hmm. he is. And Maybe so. Those those guys, like they worship him. They, I think that if nothing else, you might get a uh, two month placebo effect. <laughs> mm-hmm. and last October, everyone was mad that Johnny Gomes was playing all the time instead of yeah. Daniel Nava. So yeah. we'll see whether whether uh, they stick to the strict platoon or not. Mm. Um. And and then the Red Sox side, I mean, that was our whole show yesterday, which, as as I feared, was uh, quickly kind of out of date by the time I don't think it was. I don't listen to it. Yeah, not really, but not not, slight, not even slightly out of date. Mm. Yeah, out of date, and that we didn't we didn't know what was going to transpire. But we we talked about the motivations and everything. So they they did go through with the Lester trade. They did go through with the Lackey trade. They also made other trades. They they traded. Andrew Miller to the Orioles. They traded Stephen Drew to the Yankees. So they they were sellers, but not in the classical sense. They they traded guys who were approaching free agency to teams that are better positioned to make the playoffs in 2014. In that sense, they are sellers, but they are not really typical sellers in the sense that they, except for the, the Miller deal where they got Eduardo Rodriguez back, they didn't really get prospects. They got major league guys um they got kelly johnson for some reason i'm not clear on what the purpose of that is but but they got cespedes and they got alan craig and they got joe kelly and these are clearly moves made with 2015 in mind i suppose and you can see how you can envision the the red sox contending team coming together um i mean craig certainly has his question marks at this point, but uh, they added outfield offense, which is something they've lacked this year. And as we talked about yesterday, they don't have a ton of financial commitments and they have plenty of mid and backer rotation guys from their farm system who seem ready to take over those roles. So it seems like the only thing that they really lack that would make them among the favorites heading into next year would be high ceiling starters top of the rotation starters and i guess some of those guys are available this winter whether it's scherzer or whether it's lester maybe they'll actually pull off the the trade lester and re-sign lester uh gambit actually i saw a tweet from someone i think who does the the red sox post game stuff on nesson who said that a a red sox source told him that the team wanted to trade Lester to a team that they didn't think could re-sign him uh, in preparation for making an offer to bring him back this winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
we have them, incidentally, a uh, our playoff odds have them as a sub-500 team, true talent team, before these trades. So uh, it, they are not quite the Rays, where we think that they have underperformed in an exceptionally fluky way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the system, you know, they it didn't love the Red Sox even last year. Liked them, mm-hmm. I think. It, I think it had them at like eighty-five wins, and it didn't. And even like, the the Red Sox internal the Red Sox system, system, yeah, exactly, <laughs> had them at them, so. something. Yeah, that was from the, the Alex Spear essay in in the annual. Yeah, so it's not it's not quite clear that they have a uh, that they have a, a definitely front running team, but they should have plenty of flexibility mm-hmm. to have uh, you know to to make a front running team. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. It might this it might depend on how many teams there. They're bidding against. If yes. the Yankee, if the Yankees and Dodgers are are uh, overextended, and if the Cubs decide to wait one more year, then it becomes a much easier job for the Red Sox this mm-hmm. offseason. And speaking of the Yankees, I I like what they did. I like what they did a lot. Yeah, I do too. Uh, they they were in this position where I don't know their playoff odds were like fifteen percent or something. You know, for the Yankees, good enough that. That they might as well go for it, but not not so good that they should trade everything that's in their farm system, which you know they have a few a few appealing prospects, um, and they they have to at, at some point find a way to graduate something more valuable than a, a bullpen guy or a back of the rotation guy, which is all their system has really produced since since Brett Gardner, um, and it's tough to make a team entirely out of free agents. So at some point they have to find a way to graduate someone who can contribute. So it probably made sense for them to hang on to as many prospects as they could while giving it a a decent shot for this year. And I think they pulled that off perfectly. They, uh, they added drew who is, is good. He's going to have to play second base for the first time in his career because, of course, Jeter is a immovable object at short. But they added Drew. They added uh, Mar- Martin Prado, which was a, a nice move too, who gives them a lot of flexibility. And uh, they added Chase Headley earlier in the month. They added uh, Brandon McCarthy earlier in the month, and they. Didn't really give up a whole lot. They, they gave up, up yeah, it's, it's guys like Fidel Nuno and Peter O'Brien and all, you know all these marginal prospects at best. Rafael DePaul, I guess, is a little bit better, but but nothing that really hurts. And it costs them money, of course, but that's that's what they have at their disposal. So uh, I thought they did an excellent job. Yeah, it's almost incredible the the bucket of slop that they sent out <laughs> on the rest of the league. It's like, it's really incredible that they convinced like, like a, a lot of, a lot of these guys, it's sort of incredible that they convinced anybody to take them in any context. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's all they gave up is, is pretty good. Although, you know, it's not like they, uh, they added a bunch of all-stars. I mean, Brandon McCarthy, who we like and who mm-hmm. seemed to be pitching pretty well before he got traded and who has been pitching well since. He was like 1-42. in 42. And, <laughs> um, of course, uh, Stephen Drew is is doing worse than Kelly Johnson, I think, thus far. He's, he's hit more or less like Stephen Drew in July. He was awful in June. And Chase Headley was uh, nothing but memories at mm-hmm. this point. 
And uh, who's the last one? Uh, Prado. Oh, yeah, Prado's been replacement level and is, uh, what, signed for three more years, something like that? I think so, two more. Although, I mean, two more at $11 million per, which is... I like it. I like it. I'm, fine, just saying right? that, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that if you chose to make the opposite argument, mm-hmm. if your hot take was, look at those Yankees, there they go again, that it would be pretty easy to make, you know, to choose a few details about every player that explain why they were available for a hefty discount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not ideal to build a team the way that they've built the team, but with the constraints that they are operating under as far as lack of homegrown guys, I mean, it would have been nice if they had started the season with Stephen Drew, or and and I know they they talked about it, but that didn't happen. Um, so if they had if they had had some of these guys to start the season instead of Kelly Johnson and and. Brian Roberts and all of these people who yeah. really there was yeah. just no way that 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 would work and in a way it it almost worked better than they could have expected that Roberts stayed healthy and uh, Teixeira when he's played has been productive and um, they've almost gotten lucky even though those positions have been pretty unproductive but right now they they have something that looks kind of like a contending team's lineup and. They're a team that is, I think, 30 runs under 500 run differential-wise. So uh, I wouldn't get my hopes up, <laughs> but um, but I thought they, they did as well as could be expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like their... I, I agree. I think if they'd started the season with this infield, it would have been pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, so I, we, we should discuss the, the big deal. The three-team trade. Uh, this was surprising. It seemed it, it was surprising to me. It seemed like it was surprising to Dave Dombrowski if you read his comments about how this this deal had barely been discussed. Um, he thought there was a zero percent chance that it would happen, or close to zero percent. When uh, if someone had asked him, I think Wednesday morning he said, and then it kind of resurfaced a little on Wednesday, and then just got done more or less in a day and uh i i didn't see this coming i expected that maybe the tigers would make a move for a a lefty reliever or something i did not expect them to add an ace um and they did and and now they they also have a super rotation and i guess you can um i I mean they they gave up a a good deal it's not a an unqualified win i mean i think they're they gave up austin jackson and they're gonna make do with rajai davis and ezekiel carrera platooning in center which is a downgrade and uh and it wasn't like they upgraded from replacement level to price they had a a fairly deep rotation as it was so instead of instead of price or instead of uh porcello or smiley or Maybe Verlander, if he got his act together in the second half, they will be starting Price, and that's obviously an upgrade. Um, but he's going to be expensive next year, and Smiley is cheap and under team control for a long time. But I guess the question is whether that really even matters if you're the Tigers and you're trying to win this year and you're trying to win next year, and you will have Price next year, and you're better and have a better chance to win this year with Price. So. It's uh, it came at a cost, but I guess a, a reasonable cost. Yep. Uh, 
I wish I had more to say. I just wrote about this, like just finished right before we wrapped up, mm-hmm. and I um, I don't even remember what I wrote. <laughs> like I I it, I've it's been a long day. Um, yeah. So the Tigers. It's okay. So here's what's interesting about the Tigers. The Tigers have just seemed to have an unlimited capacity to add impact players for the last few years, it, and it's weird because they don't ever seem to run out of space. They just add impact player after impact player after impact player, and you never hear them like whine, uh, you know, worrying about the um, the the luxury tax, and you never hear about how they have six unmovable contracts and they they're like sort of sneaky sneaky huge um uh but yeah they they, uh this is a this is obviously uh like uh i this uh, i i didn't expect anybody would get david price without having some sort of cringy what did we just do kind of feeling Mm -hmm. um and they don't have that at all there's I, I don't I won't miss Smiley like if I were the Tigers I wouldn't miss Smiley at all I think that's a, a perfectly replaceable part mm-hmm. and um, David Price is incredible so mm-hmm. uh, it's it's sort of shocking that they were able to get a guy who is somewhere between like the second and seventh best pitcher in all of baseball uh, for um, you know not that much and really nothing that's going to let even if it is even if you can make the case that you know Jackson and Smiley are really valuable and you know the cost control or whatever there's like there's no way that in six or seven years anybody holds this trade up as an example of like a disaster trade there's no chance that they they gave up Jeff Bagwell or John Smoltz you know to to do this it's like the the downside is is really sort of shockingly small for this mm-hmm. trade mm-hmm. yeah and so we'll we'll talk about the other sides of the trade. The the side that people are probably less interested in is the Mariners side. I thought the Mariners did a, a good job at the deadline, both in acquiring um, Jackson to play center and in acquiring Chris Denorfia to uh, I don't know place outfield corners platoon with people. Um, both of those guys are upgrades the Mariners have had really. Really awful offense uh, from their their whole team to an extent, but particularly from their outfield, they were getting nothing out of guys like James Jones and Andy Chavez. So this is an upgrade. It it if anything, it makes their defense better, which is, is amazing because they have the best defensive efficiency in the majors already. Um, and they gave up Nick Franklin, who very very clearly was not playing any sort of role for them. Um, I'm, I'm sort of surprised that they were able to get much for him because it seemed that they very clearly telegraphed that he had no future in Seattle. They've been moving him to all sorts of different positions. Uh, they signed Cano. They've been playing Brad Miller and even Chris Taylor instead of Nick Franklin. So, um, maybe, maybe they handled him strangely, but if you accept that he just wasn't really going to be a player for them i thought they they did a pretty good job getting jackson who's a a big upgrade and denorfia who's a a decent little buy low so that's the mariners side yeah the mariner i think that as far as a single trade that i like the most any one team any one haul 
the I feel like Franklin for Jackson might be the, like the single cleanest, coolest move any team made today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my in my post, I think I ended up writing the most about the Mariners and the Yankees, even though they didn't make the the highest profile moves. So, so the Rays. Um, it sounds like from from what you've said about Franklin and Smiley that you are underwhelmed with the Rays' return for Price. I don't know that I'm I'm underwhelmed isn't quite what I would necessarily say. I'm sort of saddened by it more than anything, just because uh, I I feel like it's a move that helps them for the next couple years, and they're going to be kind of hanging on by their fingertips for the next couple years. I think they should be good enough to compete. Um, and in two, in 2015, and and probably in maybe in 2016, and uh, Smiley and Franklin are kind of helpful for that because they're they're major league ready right now. Smiley's you know practically a veteran, and Franklin you know if it's not if it's not coming now, it ain't coming. So uh, there, it's it, it's good for those couple years, but there's just such a looming sense of disaster. It seems like around the Rays. Um, Beyond that, they haven't had successful drafts for more than a half a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, they um, they didn't really get the kind of haul from David Price that you can build seven or eight years of a franchise around. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that they. I mean, maybe they. Maybe they. Maybe that would have been the wrong move. First of all, maybe that. Maybe that wasn't available to them. It's quite conceivable that there was no offer. Out there that would have done that, but you know, generally in history, we see that ace pitchers who have some club control left who get traded bring back some pretty impressive hauls and um, uh, the kind that you can build around for six or seven years. And they didn't do that. Instead, they got two pretty good guys who will help for the next couple years. Smiley will get traded uh, sometime in 20, probably 17. Uh, so he's already practically gone. The Rays will barely get to know him. Um, and around that time, I could see the franchise really falling into a sort of few years of disrepair. And I don't uh, think anybody's eager to see the Rays be bad again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maybe I, they are. <laughs> some people probably are. Some people. I Yeah, I, I kind of wrote that, I don't know, on its own merits, it's not... It's not awful it's it's maybe sort of a letdown just because the price sweepstakes has been going on for so long that you expected that when it finally was resolved somehow there would be a big name involved and maybe uh and of course big names have been rumored to to be included in those trade talks at various times and we saw the rays get myers the last time they they made a major pitching move so there was maybe an expectation for more or maybe just like a necessity for more that you have to hold the Rays to a high standard in these moves because they kind of need to, they kind of need to hit a home run every time. Um, And this time they maybe just sort of, I don't know, doubled or something. Yeah. The package they got back is a lot like to me, it seems like a lot like the package they got for Scott Kazmir. Mm -hmm. Um, It's three similar types uh, Smiley is um, more advanced and has more more service time than Alex Torres did, um, but you know you're talking about three fairly similar types. And Casimir at the time wasn't that good at all, um, and 
it was a, sort of a surprise they could move him for value at all. He cleared waivers for Pete's sake. Um, whereas Price is the most desirable, desired, traded pitcher in like three or four years. Um, so it's sort of surprising just to see the the surface similarities between those moves. And maybe, it, like I said, maybe it's just that there's no Tony Regans anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I trust that the Rays got the best move that they the, or the best package that they could. Mm-hmm. They um, are certainly aware of what they need and of what was out there. And I I don't intend it as any sort of criticism. I really do believe they got the best that they could get. It's just a little disappointing because it's kind of fun to watch the Rays pull off a heist. That's a mm-hmm. thing that we've grown used to and that I always sort of feel slightly giddy, even though I don't have any rooting interest in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to see these smart underdogs do smart things that make them not underdogs anymore. And this one, I don't have the feeling that this ends up with a World Series for them or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. a little yeah. sad is all. And I don't know. Maybe we don't pay enough attention to the the money Price is making. And he's making fourteen million now. We figure he'll make what in the the twenty million range next year. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to offer a whole lot of surplus value when you're making 20 million i mean especially given that he's a pitcher and who knows he could get hurt if if he's if he's healthy all year and and is great then then he'd be worth more than 20 million but once you build in the risk that he won't be healthy maybe it's not all that much extra value so um maybe that's part of it is that we're looking at price and we're looking at his stats and not so much his salary uh, so we can, I guess we can just briefly, um, cover the, the Cardinals trades. I, it, it's not all that fascinating. They, they needed rotation help. Shelby Miller has been shaky. Michael Walker's hurt. So they traded for Masterson and Lackey, uh, which I guess how, how good that is sort of depends on, on whether they actually get Lackey at league minimum next year, or whether they have to give him much more than that. That will kind of determine maybe how good a deal it is. And then they they traded Kelly and they traded Craig and now they have a place to put Oscar Tavares. And I don't know, on the whole, it probably makes them better for now. They, they gave up some stuff, but um, nothing nothing crippling. Not really moves that fascinated me. But Yeah, how, uh, how much do you think they should be terrified of John Lackey's uh opinion about his own contract uh i heard a lot i yeah. felt like that came up a lot today yeah. well because he's he's what and, he's threatened not to play right so and the more and the more it comes up the more it starts to sound like an option and mm-hmm. like the worst thing is that this becomes like a debate about whether he should or whether he could you don't want it to even be seen as like oh well there are two routes he could take here uh, but it seems like it's getting cl- more and more like we're waiting to see what he'll decide, um, which kind of dooms them if if he thinks he has a choice. Yeah. That's so what do you think they do? Like, let's say if let's say Lackey, what what does Lackey do? What is he threatening to do? Is he threatening to retire? Is he threatening to so. to just hold out? I think remember retirement. Holdouts, is then? Do you remember holdouts? <laughs> uh, I've I've read about them. Man, back when I was a kid, there were just always kids, uh, always players holding out. Mm-hmm. That's like spring training. Guys would just not come. Like Ricky Henderson would show up a few weeks late every year, <laughs> holding out. Yeah. Um, 
so I don't I don't know and it's I mean I, I guess they can't really have have talked to him about it before trading him right I mean they must have just kind of been going in hoping for the best maybe sort of feeling people out but I guess they probably couldn't have talked to him directly about it so uh, I don't I don't know maybe they like make some kind of middle ground offer and try to be like try to look like nice guys about it or something so that he doesn't doesn't demand full market value and just appreciates the gesture Mm -hmm. maybe that would be a a good way to go about it yeah I, i would say that that'd probably be a better way than trying to get every last penny out of him and having him having it backfire but it's sort of a shame from the team's perspective that you can't make the most of it well and it's almost like you like now i wonder if they just trade him and like if everybody just keeps trading him around <laughs> and trying to like squeezing you know 70 cents like basically like uh, a guy you know owes you money but you're never going to collect it from him he's never going to pay you so you sell the debt to somebody at 60 cents on the dollar and then 30 cents and eventually there's some collection agency that is only you know <laughs> that is only paying a nickel on the dollar for it and he takes you to court yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so i don't know we'll see how that works out but that i guess is the most interesting aspect of these moves and the you know the really interesting thing um, to me, as I mentioned on Twitter, was that these were the two teams that we thought would not be making moves for rotation help prior to the season when you did your Pakoda ranking of each team's rotation depth. The A's were number one on that list. The Cardinals, I think, were number six on that list. And between the two of them, they traded for five starting pitchers in July. Kind of incredible. Although um, they, traded, they traded two away as well. Yes, that's true. Uh, all right, so I don't think we need to talk about any other moves, really. Um, I, I like the Gerardo Parra trade for Milwaukee because I like Gerardo Parra. But uh, anything else you can you can read about? I guess the, the only other thing of interest is maybe a couple teams that didn't do anything, um, most notably the Phillies, who got a lot of grief for not doing things. And... I can you can kind of explain away certain players that they didn't deal. For example, Chase Utley certainly sounded like he didn't want to go anywhere. Jimmy Rollins said some stuff about not wanting to go anywhere, and, and they're both ten and five guys, and they didn't have to go anywhere if they didn't want to. And uh, and you know Ryan Howard, you weren't going to get anything for him, and cliff lee's elbow probably scared everyone off rightfully so because he was forced to leave his start immediately after the deadline so maybe there weren't quite as many movable parts on the roster as it seemed like there were but there were still guys there's still marlon bird and aj burnett and papelbon and and this is now the second straight deadline that the phillies have done nothing just nothing at all and um it's it's pretty perplexing and you read Ruben Morrow's quotes after and he uh, sort of he sort of made it sound like the onus was on other teams to make offers that overwhelmed him more so than the onus was on him to do something to get the Phillies out of this rut and he said something about how he he thinks prospects are overrated and he's not that excited about prospects and um 
I don't know. Which is, which is weird because he has managed to trade a lot of players for a lot of prospects in the past. It's not as though he ne- like he traded Hunter Pence for prospects. Right. He traded Michael Bourne. Well, maybe that's why he doesn't prospects. like prospects. He, he the, traded Cliff Lee for prospects. The, the trades he made in 2012, he, he traded Tomey and Chad Qualls and Victorino and Pence. And I don't know if there's really anything left over that's helping the Phillies from those trades. So maybe maybe he's been burned by trading before and he's not going to do it again. I don't know. Um, it's it's not totally surprising based on their history, but you you would have thought that somehow, some way, something would, would get done there. Um, but no. And then the only other team that I thought I was surprised didn't do anything. I mean, you could... You could be semi-surprised about the Dodgers not adding a reliever or the Giants not adding a second baseman or or maybe the Pirates not doing something. Um, I thought the Blue Jays not doing anything was was sort of surprising just in that they were, I think they were the team with the highest playoff odds that didn't really make a move other than the Denny Valencia trade. And they had something like a 60% chance of of winning the wild card, they are currently in possession of a wild card spot, but only like a forty percent chance in the AL East, and so they're in a position where every win would make a pretty big difference to their bottom line, and they just didn't do a whole lot. And they've they've got guys coming back like Lind and Encarnacion and Laurie, and so you could see why they wouldn't have wanted to make a, a big move for a position player, although maybe like an Astrubal Cabrera or something would have made sense, but. A pitcher, a starter, probably would have been nice just in case guys like Hutchison or Stroman run out of steam or just the fact that they're starting Jay Happ all the time and it's it's quite possible that they could miss the playoffs because of one Jay Happ start instead of a start by someone else. So I don't know whether it's that they didn't have a lot of payroll room or what, and Thopolis has consistently said that that hasn't been a problem, but... Sort of surprised that they didn't do anything. Maybe they'll do something in August. Were they rumored? Were there hot rumors about the Jays? Um, there were Cabrera rumors. There were there were nebulous pitching rumors. I don't I don't know that I heard a lot of specific names. Not that I was paying a particular attention to Toronto rumors, but but yeah, there were there were rumors. Great. Okay. <laughs> All right. We did a decent job. Um, so read our stuff if you wanna if you wanna hear more about what we think about trades. Uh, please send us emails for next week at podcast@baseballperspectus.com. Please join our Facebook group at facebook.com/groups/effectivelywild. Please rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to BaseballReference.com, subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get a $30 discount on a one-year subscription. And by the way, if you didn't see it, I posted a link in the Facebook group. Russell Carlton wrote a long, unfiltered post at BP, free for non-subscribers, about the uh, question we talked about on Wednesday's listener email show, whether it's more likely to have a five-home-run game or a five-strikeout inning. He did all the math, and he came to a conclusion, and it's an interesting read. And there is, 
I was also surprised to see that there was a five strikeout inning in the minor leagues this season. Mm-hmm. Did you did you read about that? And it wasn't even the first time. Like Mark Montgomery did it a few years ago, which I guess uh, I guess the the likelihood of of a catcher throwing it away is so much higher in the minor leagues. Yeah, you would you'd think it would be, and it's also still surprising. Mm-hmm. There's also what there's uh, I I mean this doesn't. Uh, by Russell's math, math, it should happen like uh, every couple universes. Like it should just happen virtually never. So what I'm going to say is not actually interesting, but there's like eight eight times as many games, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you count all the minor leagues down to, you know, Dominican League. Mm-hmm. But eight eight times is not nearly enough. It should not have happened twice, <laughs> unless unless it's just that catchers are bad and pitchers are wilder. Well, and pitchers are wilder. Catchers are worse. Mm-hmm. Catchers are worse at catching, worse at throwing, and the hitters are more likely to swing at a stupid pitch. Mm-hmm. Yes, good points. Okay, so that's it for this week. Uh, I wonder. If, uh, it's not quite the end. I, of this week. I wonder if I wonder if players are also more likely or less likely to run because I I notice a lot of batters yeah. who just don't run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe in the minors, players more motivated. Not sure. Okay, so that's it for this week. Have a wonderful weekend. We will be back on Monday.